the quantum shit show i am one of your hosts danica and then i'm joined here with the other co-host jody and Bo. what's up <laughs> i'm still working through how to sign on to the recordings <laughs> so th this is going to evolve over time i'm sure so uh bear with me and my awkwardness mm. <laughs> so <laughs> So today's topic is going to be on identity, and um, I think this is a this is definitely going to be uh, one of those one of those one of those topics that evokes probably some emotion in some people. So, um, what is what is identity anyway? Right, the concept of identity would seem uh, to be pretty concrete and solid. Uh, considering that it's something that we feel to be a solid foundation of our human experience, right? So yeah. it may come as a surprise then to recognize that it's actually pretty difficult to define. Mm -hmm. And it's somewhat actually an abstract concept. And as you can imagine, I had a pretty hard time trying to find an actual definition that encompasses what identity truly is. Wow. So I feel like this inability to truly pinpoint what identity is speaks volumes about the human condition and our collective identity crisis, which is something that I do want to talk about a little bit later, because I do feel like we're, we're having one very large identity crisis yeah. currently. <clears throat> but for now, I do want to read some of the better definitions of identity that I found on the internet. So the first one is from Wikipedia and it states identity is... <laughs> Identity is the qualities, beliefs, personality, looks, and or expressions that make a person or a group. One can regard the awareness and the categorizing of identity as positive or as destructive. A psychological identity relates to self-image, self-esteem, and individuality. And then another definition that I found is from Psychology Today, and it says that identity or self-views relates to our basic values that determine the choices we make, for example, relationships or a career. The meaning of an identity includes expectations for self about how one should behave. Identity encompasses the memories, experiences, relationships, and values that create one's sense of self. Mm. This amalgamation creates a steady sense of who one is over time, even as new facets are developed and incorporated into one's identity. And yet another definition from Cambridge Dictionary states that identity is simply a person's name and other facts about who they are or who they feel they are, which I thought was an interesting addition, right? Because feelings are not always facts, as we know, but here we see that the, di the dictionary says that it's, that it's true. So it must be true, especially because we saw it on the internet. So there's that. <laughs> so I think there's a lot to unpack here just in these few attempts to define identity. And I'm sure that a lot is coming up for both of you, Jody and Bo, regarding all of this. Um, yeah, but the main thing that I wanted to touch on real quick is that identity, as well as other things that are rooted in God, are actually quite simple and not as complex as we might imagine them to be. 
The complexities generally lie on the human end and not on God's end because humans are the complicated ones and we complicate everything because we get redirected in the mind rather than existing in the heart, which is where God is. And side note, um, stay with us on those topics because I'm sure we're going to unpack what God is and and what the mind is and, and other topics in future episodes or in this one, who knows? I don't know. But identity is actually quite simple because we are not our thoughts. We are not our beliefs. We are not what we do. We are not our jobs, our titles, our awards, our accolades, our certifications, our expectations, even our behaviors. It isn't who we've been who we are or who we want to be. Those things are experiences of the human and are actually a result of whether or not we've actually embodied our identity, right? Because the actions that we take are based on whether or not we're operating from a wounded place or from a place that's anchored in truth or, or God. So then our true and unchanging identity is really rooted in our consciousness, which comes from God. And then when we begin to shed all of these false identities and these meaningless titles that the world has laid upon us, this is where we begin to find our true identity because all the other stuff is anchored into wounds and false core beliefs about ourselves. So the things we think define our identities actually do not. The nuance here is that when we step into our true identities as multidimensional beings that are sourced from God, our actions, behaviors, beliefs, titles, expectations, jobs, etc., they'll all change. They all change. So it isn't that our beliefs and behaviors and likes and dislikes create our identity, but that our identity creates our beliefs, behaviors, and likes and dislikes. Mm-hmm. So crazy. Oh <laughs> I'm sitting here going, so identity is completely subjective. <laughs> it has no foundation of anything solid based on these definitions. And right. Yeah, I would definitely say we are experiencing an enormous identity crisis. I mean, just mm-hmm. yeah, just based on what you shared, I'm just like, well, hello. Yeah. Here's our problem. Well, and I think that the identity crisis, I think it's exacerbated by this um, period of quarantine that we just went through, where <laughs> where we were isolated basically, and then I think also too, it's exacerbated by this um, this. Uh, social justice culture and the, like the, the punitive culture of um, cancel culture and uh, social justice and all of that, because then we're, we're taught, you know, or, or conditioned to only be able to identify with certain things, or these things are kind of taboo or um, like out of, out of the ballpark. We can't touch those things. We can't identify with these things. And then everybody's not sure what they're allowed to identify with anymore, you know? So it's all, yeah, it's all just really up in the air. Well, it makes me think too, yesterday I was reading and watching some YouTube videos um, about our history, you know, um, in America, but globally as well. And I was just listening to some really interesting things about our history and, and this particular person is proposing and using um, hard evidence really that our history has been told in reverse in so many ways. And like things that we think are a certain way are absolutely not that way. It was actually the opposite of that, but we've been conditioned to believe that it's the other way. I mean, all this stuff. And I'm like, um, no wonder we struggle because the reason that this person was bringing it forward was saying like, there's a group of people who identify as this kind of person or identify with this kind of struggle. And the truth Mm -hmm. is that struggle was never real for that group of people. It's been told. (laughs) So I'm like, yeah. <laughs> we understand. Like, I mean, it just, 
you start looking at that and you're like, I don't even know who I am. You know, like, I mean, that's what's happening to these people who are listening to this stuff and commenting like, oh my God, like if this is true, then everything I've built my life on, basically from mm-hmm. this one perspective, based on my race, my socioeconomic status, my, you know, cultural beliefs or whatever is a lie. It's a farce. And so like, okay, so then how do I define myself now? And I'm sitting here listening to you say all these things and I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, it's like you go through your whole life believing things are a certain way. And we base a lot of our identity on history, mm-hmm. you know? And so if our history is false, then we really don't know who we are, you know, mm-hmm. or we've adopted certain things and said, this is who I am based on this idea. Mm-hmm. And if you find out that's not true, then you have to go on a journey of redefining yourself. You know, right. identity is a gigantic conversation. It is everything. That's what we said uh, yeah. in our last episodes too, was that this, this is an identity conversation almost at its core. And every, every definition that you were reading, Danica, was, I was just sitting with it and trying not to overthink it because, oh my gosh, this can, we can really <laughs> help weave a web here that has already been woven Right. Um, and we can easily add to the conglomeration of <clears throat> confusion and overthinking. Um, so I was just letting the definitions just kind of like wash over me and see what they brought up. And the overarching feeling that I kept having was that exactly what you said at first, Annika, was that all of these things that are being used to define identity are ironically <laughs> what identity is not <laughs> as far as all of the people, places, things, the details. And um, that's been something that I think for myself to start to realize, I think like the experience that you were describing, babe, about what these people were going through as they were hearing information that completely like absolutely directly contradicts what they had been told about themselves that almost existential like crisis Mm -hmm. i would hope i would be so bold to say i would hope at least once that anyone who is on a path of uh uncovering or discovering truth or seeking spiritually has that process Mm -hmm. Um, because I mean, whenever we think about the ego, just in like a spiritual or like an esoteric term, it is the culmination of all of that false identity. It is not only just survival mechanisms, but almost like an artificial intelligence of how we operate Mm -hmm. based on things in our computation that ended up in error. Just thinking about it in the sense of like the, the, the supercomputers that we are and the data processors that we are as humans, our bodies holding all the memory is like, <coughs> it's holding everything that we've ever been told about ourselves and our experiences. And I think that's kind of led into a lot of rabbit holes is how do those things even, are they even separate? You know, do the things that we've been told uh, that we've been told about ourselves actually start to create the things that happen to us 
because we just agree with those things, right? This is how indoctrination happens. This is what mass manipulation and brainwashing is. And this is where these identities actually come from. And in the work that we do um, with the Christed priesthood, the conversation about identity, I mean, that's really where I can say I can come from as like an embodied experience Mm -hmm. and in the healing journey that I've been on with my own identity. Um, But even more so the shedding that I've experienced in trying to come back into what is true for me. You know, you go through this whole journey of, I mean, for me, and I've seen it so many times with others is this journey of, well, I get to finally just have my truth and then walking with that for such a long time. And then that kind of taught me how to use my voice, how to set my boundaries, how to heal at a level. And it also helped me to accept myself where I was. And I think I really needed to do that. Um, just to learn how to shed the things that had been placed over me as my identity, as my story, mm-hmm. you know, the generational story that I come from, uh, the sins of the father sort of thing. And even like my relationship with my mother or my siblings or growing up who I was in the, the public schooling system in the United States, um, not even realizing that there were other systems like in the UK is a completely different <laughs> public schooling system. I mean, and the levels of expression are much more limited, but even shedding all of that and then walking with the, well, this is my truth to the point where even that started to dissolve as I grew closer and closer back to God. Um, and it wasn't even necessarily that I was just trying to do that. I was just seeking truth. I was just seeking deeper and deeper layers of truth uh, at every turn. And I wasn't leaving any stone unturned. I was trying a lot of different things and none of them really stuck. Just like you said, Danica, is like inevitably these things are going to start to change. Even if at one point it's like, this is my ultimate truth. And I I have stood so convicted in that place of like, this is my truth, just because that had been taken so many times. And then I felt like I need to do anything I can to hold on to this, not realizing that that was just another trauma response. Mm -hmm. And so I walked on this fence line of healing and then entered into some like healing loops and stuff. And then even the things that I thought were my truth, (laughs) dissolved whenever I you know we had the conversation honesty versus truth Um, a lot of those things that I stood in as this is my truth and this is just what it is right now (laughs) uh, that is really feeding a major part of this identity Uh, Danica calls it identity politics (laughs) and I would agree with that term Um, but it's almost like created this whole sins and virtue uh standard Mm -hmm. that we can basically create on our own because we have our own levels of truth and it becomes very convoluted and that distinct essence of truth um is actually lost in the wash of all of this tolerance and 
radical acceptance and I don't think that tolerance is necessarily a bad thing or I don't think that acceptance is unnecessary either. I think that it is necessary, but to accept things um, at the standard that someone else is creating to protect their narratives of an identity that's interchangeable Mm -hmm. starts to become divisive whenever it's hiding behind the virtue of unity. And so that has really been the, the crux of the conversation in my own healing journey is whenever I actually have a relationship with union and what's held in that space, all of these other things that are up for debate start to dissolve. And you start to actually have an experience over time with something that is not as interchangeable as the truths that that I personally have stood in in the past with such conviction. These um, even truths beyond truth <laughs> start to really make themselves very concrete and present as a basic identity with non-attachment to anything that this world has used in the past, whether it's tangible, physical, or spiritual, emotional, even trains of thought, these things that aren't as easy to measure or trace, you know, those things start to dissolve whenever at one point they seem to be the wave that we were riding. Mm. So, I mean, that's just kind of, uh, that's all I, I mean, I have so much, I could talk about it for a long time. I this feel is like a we... gigantic conversation. So much is popping off in my head right now yeah. as this is happening. And I'm like, this is a two-parter at least <laughs> because it's so major. Oh my God, Danica, you said in the definition, one of the definitions that, that um, memories, um, like our memories help us create our identity. And when you said that, I was just like, mm. oh my God my um, sister and I had a recent conversation over the holidays and she was telling me she had been in a conversation with my dad and my aunt, his sister, and they were retelling a story that I'm very familiar with in my life from when we were little, little kids, they're retelling the story. And it was a pretty traumatic happening. And my sister has always believed, we were all under the impression that this traumatic event happened to my sister in, in what we understand about the story. And they were sitting talking about the story and my aunt, who's never been a part of that conversation, we've always heard it told from my parents. My aunt is retelling the story and she's telling the story. And she's like, do you remember that this happened to Jody? And my dad is like, no, it was Jamie. And my sister's sitting there and going, what? Like what? And she's like, it was absolutely not Jamie. It was Jody. I was there. It was Jody that this happened to. And my sister is telling me this and she's going, do you know how long I've been carrying this trauma around thinking this happened to me? And I started laughing when she told me and I was like, it happened to me? (laughs) I was like, that's hysterical. I had no idea that that story was about me. So guess what? I'm not carrying around my whole life, right? She thinks it happened to her. So she's bearing the burden of a false trauma. Whoa, thank you. Phantom. And this all comes out. And she sat and she told me, she's like, you have no idea the kind of processing I've had to go through in the last few days, just mulling over the fact that this didn't even happen to me. 
And so Shit. when you said about memories <laughs> being part of our identity, I was like, oh my God, this actually happened in my life, you know, like, and so how many of us are walking around with false memories? Science has already proven that when we recount our memory, we can only access 50% of what's true about our memory. That's scientifically proven. Well, actually, whenever we're recalling something that happened, we're recalling the last time we remembered it happening. Oh, my God. Oh, so it's like 50% of 50% probably. <laughs> yeah. So we're actually just, re when we are re recalling something within our memory that happened in the past, we're remembering the last time we remembered it. Wow. <laughs> oh, my God. And this is, I think this is a great conversation to have around identifying with trauma because I feel like so many people do, we, we tend to hear people talk about like, I'm, mm, let's just say like identifying as like a survivor of, I don't know, like domestic violence or something like that. Like they're actually like identifying as like someone who is like interrelated with the actual trauma. Right. And um, I'm I'm actually reading a book right now, and um, it's called um, Waking the Tiger, and it was written in like the '90s, so it's pretty old. And there's some stuff in there that I already like know and have applied, um, just through my own personal work and my journey through movement and releasing trauma through movement. Um, but it's really solidifying some things for me around. Um, and I think we had this conversation, it was either in the last episode or maybe we had it privately and it wasn't actually in like a podcast episode. <laughs> <laughs> but whenever we talk about um, like the integration of, of, of what God is, which is the masculine and the feminine and the form and the formless. And they're so interconnected and so integrated that they're never actually apart. And this is why we felt so called to create a podcast like this, where we talk about like the practicality mm -hmm. of spirituality and practical physical ways to apply it mm -hmm. so that this, the spiritual and energetic are, are so interrelated with the physical mm -hmm. that they're not actually apart, right? We can't separate them. Mm -hmm. And so when we talk about, um, <clears throat> oh my gosh, where was I even going with that? <laughs> I had it, I had an objective in my mind and then I just like went off on a tangent on something else. Anyway, I guess in the, <laughs> You're talking about identifying with trauma. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so in the book, um, basically it was, um, it's just talking about how, um, like some of this guy's patients would, uh, be begin to form their identities around the trauma that they had endured. And so the difference between, um, the difference between trauma and an actual challenge that is overcome is the way that it's stored within the body. It's not actually like discharged from the body. Mm -hmm. Right. And so this is something, um, for those listening, you may or may not know, I used to be a, a, a movement instructor for um, a pretty well-known yoga company. And one of our basic principles, like one of the tenets of the movement was something that we call the static shake. And it has, um, it's, uh, science is based in like myofascial release. And so we would use like a trembling or a shaking technique to actually discharge energy from the body. And so what this, what this guy is saying in this book, I think his name is like Peter Levine or something like that. He talks about, he talks about how um, like innate trembling in the body 
um, is actually the, uh, he, he talks extensively about the reptilian brain, which has given me a whole, a whole lot of uh, thoughts around that and it being like, you know, how you, we talked previously before about how it being the controller of the human body, like the mind and the reptilian brain. Mm-hmm. There's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff. We could unpack a lot of stuff here, but anyway, Trent, let me, let me stay on topic, <laughs> but he's, <laughs> I just get so excited, <laughs> but he's basically just talking about how the the movement, there's always a very practical physical thing to do to discharge or expel trauma from the body. And when it's discharged from the body, it's no longer trauma. We're not traumatized. It's the body's natural process of actually removing supercharged energy. And when it's not actually removed from the body, that energy cycles and it becomes trauma, which I feel like is something that we know very much. We we know a lot about that in quantum work, right? So, but then he goes on to talk about people identifying with their trauma and building their identities around the trauma that they've experienced because they have yet to actually discharge the trauma from their body. They don't view it as a challenge that they actually overcame, like a completion of that um, adrenalized process. Mm-hmm. They're still looping that energy, that supercharged energy through the energetic body. It's manifesting physically, right? Because the source of all things is energetic mm-hmm. and they're building their identities around the trauma that they have endured because it's still within the body. So that identity is built on a, a on a wound, this is so imp- mm. this is so important right now because we did a session yesterday or no, a few days ago. We did a session and I've never seen this in this way before, but in the session I was being shown how that the makeup, the actual trauma that was being stored in the nervous system of this person's body was actually giving way to the specific programs that were being held in the body. In other words, there was resonance. So the trauma being laid in the nervous system gave resonance to specific markers of programming that was being held in the body. And I was like, what in the world? So what you're saying right now affirms what I saw because there mm-hmm. is this electric, like um, it's a, it's a, it reminds me of like the brain, how the brain is like firing off synapses and the way that I was seeing it in the body and like these synapses and these um, uh, communication signals moving through the body. But I was seeing it in a very specific way of light and code inside the nervous system and then seeing how that it was like literally firing off and aligning itself to certain traumatic programs because of the trauma encoded in the nervous system. Like it all matched up. And I was just like, oh, so this this particular signature of trauma in the nervous system allows it to align with this thing and goes, I'll don't download that. That is that is compatible with my system. And oh, yes. And so I was just like, oh, my gosh. So what you're saying right now is absolutely blowing my mind because I was seeing this in the person's field and having an understanding of trauma that I had never had an understanding of before with regard to the nervous system. Yeah. And I think too, one of the definitions that I read, I think it was the one from Cambridge. I'm going back through my notes real quick. How it was talking about how 
identity is simply a person's name and other facts about who they are or who they feel they are. Mm -hmm. And I, yeah. And I was talking about how um, I thought that was interesting because feelings are not always facts. And we talked about this, I think maybe in the previous episode where um, truth is not the same as honesty because honesty is not always rooted in truth. It can be rooted, rooted into a wound. And so if, if what we are just talking about is accurate and who people feel they are, right, is how they're building their identity, but it's based off of a, like a wounded core belief or based in a wound. This just goes to show how frail these identities are because they're not rooted in truth. They're not rooted in God. They're rooted in ex- external things. And one of the first things we teach people in quantum work is don't adhere to an external doctrine and don't search for God outside of yourself. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> but, and then, so, you know, like looking at it and going, okay, so if, if part of our identity is based on memory, which we've already been very blatant about the fact that it's completely fallible, we cannot trust our memory whatsoever. It, it, I'm like sitting here thinking, okay, so then you have these quantum sessions where you're going in and you're tapping into past lives, past timelines. And I'm like, what is that? You know, I mean, we've already discussed this a little bit amongst ourselves, but it's just like to think that you could pull something from that when our own memory is fallible, that we could tap into someone else's memory, allegedly, and pull something from their past and go, this is who you were and this is what you possessed and this is what you went through. Is like, is there some... A measure of truth in that? Possibly. Yeah, potentially, because I think even in the memories that we recollect, there is a little morsel of truth probably tucked in there. But the details surrounding it, the storyline surrounding it is usually completely wonky. You know what I mean? So it's like to then think that people are walking around coming out of quantum session work, believing certain things about themselves because of what's been told to them in a session of a past, whatever, trajectory, an alternate timeline, is like, okay, you guys, we're going to have to look at this again, because this is scary. I mean, people literally change their identity in the world based on these things, you know? <laughs> like They're suddenly this person, or they're this healer, or they're this thing. And I'm like, oh my goodness gracious, we... Yeah, this is such a big Oh man, this is such a big conversation right here. And I feel like, so what I was just saying a moment ago about not searching outside of yourself for God or adhering to an external doctrine. Mm. So I was just explaining to uh, this to someone the other day in a session, but I think that we actually see people within this community, this air quotes, quantum community, this healing community. Um, (laughs) And they are, just like you said, they're identifying with um, all of these things that they think that they see in the fields or whatever, right? So I could go a lot of directions with this, but my point is, (laughs) my point is that Again, we are looking externally to what we think quantum work is and adhering to it as if it were a doctrine rather than trying to make quantum work fit us. We are molding ourselves to fit into what we think quantum work is. Right. So but if our relationship with God, which is the basis of what quantum work really is, our relationship with God is individual. Why are we 
<laughs> why are we, why are, why are there, let me see. I want to word this in such a way that I'm not like sounding accusatory here. <laughs> why, <laughs> why are there programs that are training people to do quantum work as if it were an external doctrine that we have to adhere to? Girl, I just would ask him <laughs> the same question two days ago. I was like, what is this? So, and this speaks to exactly what you were talking about, Jody, because Maybe. that these, these types of programs that teach people uh, timeline work or color code work or whatever, these are, this is the type of thing that's drawing people into it. That's causing people to identify with these other timelines and these false identities of, I was so-and-so in, in this past life or whatever, these are really just disembodying us. And so when, when we're disembodied, we can't actually connect with God because God is found through the self. Well, I, as you were saying that, what was coming up for me was the thoughts I've already had and even conversations we've had about how that, <clears throat> I think Shannon has said it to me before. Shannon Morton has said to me before, she's like, you know, there is this incessant drive that we have to be told who we are like constantly, like tell me who I am, tell me who I am. And so people are looking like you said, Danica, outside of themselves to be told this is who I am, or this is what is important about me. This is why I'm significant. This is why I matter. And the, the trouble in all of the work that has been done, um, and I say all the work, a lot of the work that's being done where it is pulling people into these alternate timelines and alternate identities and realities is it's a way of bypassing the trauma that needs to be healed. Because what you were talking about at the beginning of this conversation um, was your own practice of literally quite physically eliminating that traumatic response in the body and diffusing it. And so if we're just like running around going to this person, this person, this person to tell us these special things about ourselves so we can re-identify ourselves and be like, I'm not this person anymore. Now I'm this such and such being from the planet, whatever. And I'm here to bring forward la la la, whatever. You know what I mean? It's like all that is, is a way of bypassing the trauma that we are unwilling to deal with and just heal so that we can remove the layer of falsity in our life and get to the crux of who we really are. So we could actually truly identify ourselves. Now we're just re we're just creating new identities. You know, I'm so-and-so identifying as la la la, you know, whatever, like this has become a thing. This identity marker has just become so pervasive in our society now with all kinds of, we're talking about gender. We're talking about position. We're talking about culture. We're talking mm -hmm. about race. Um, yeah, it's, it's a lot. Yeah. And that, that brings up, um, the conversation that I was having previously around identity politics. And so identity politics is these identity markers that people, um, identify with, and they will sometimes <laughs> form factions or groups based on those identity markers. And then they, um, work towards achieving, a goal. It's usually some sort of like political goal or a social goal, but I applied it just to the realm of quantum work and this community and um, was talking about how there are um, certain identity markers that are showing up in this community that people are identifying with. And then it's, it's like almost, it's not really a political type of goal, but it is creating a social um, type of goal. And 
it's serving to disembody us. It's serving to create cliques. Um, it, it definitely is teetering into the realm of um, groupthink, which is like a mob mentality. Um, it's some sort of phenomenon that happens uh, in which people who are associated with a group or some sort of faction will generally start to discard their personal um, and in individual ethics and beliefs to adopt that of the group in order to come to some sort of like group consensus, um, which they tend to value uh, over their own individual um, beliefs and ideals, because, you know, there's all this talk about the collective and everything, the collective identity, the collective vibration, the collective this and that, you know? And so, um, so I am seeing a very special breed of identity politics that comes into play in this quantum uh, air quotes community because people are talking about that they're one of the 144,000, they're angelics, they're star seeds, they're uh, mm -hmm. such and such from this timeline, you know, um, King Arthur, all kinds of stuff, all kinds of stuff. And this is the frailty of identity because they're so far removed from their true identity that they're literally just putting on masks and trying to be anything else other than what they actually are. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yeah. I, I mean, I wonder how many, uh, according to this, how many incarnations of Jesus there are on the planet right now. <laughs> How many reincarnated Colonel Mustards uh, there actually are, you know, General Custer and you name it. Well, it's you usually it. it's usually somebody who has some sort of celebrity status. Right. It, it, I have yet to meet someone who is incarnated as uh, Colonel Mustard or what did you say? General Custard. <laughs> I was thinking General Custard. What did I so say? I Colonel Custard. Mustard? I was thinking of Clue. Colonel Mustard. <laughs> That's not funny, but it was funny. Oh my gosh. But yeah. Yeah, no one ever wants to be some nobody, right? Everybody wants to be famous. I was such and such. I found out that my I'm, I was born from such and such lineage. And like, okay, but you know, the issue is I have yet to see anyone um, thrive in the spiritual community that has attached themselves to this kind of identity. I have yet to see it. It usually collapses people. It usually fractures them even more um, deeply. And um, before you know it, they're making videos apologizing for having been hijacked by some ET being or some, you know, whatever. You know what I'm saying? Like, no, this is real. This has actually happened. But it's just... I just don't see it being um, sustainable and I don't see it being successful because it's a farce. You know, it is a farce anyway. If our identity is this subjective, how in the world do we think that we could pull on those things and be like, but I know, I know all these other things are not true about me, but this is actually true about mm -hmm. me. And that's why, you know, it's just like, right. come on, y'all. Come I mean, on. How many other ways is this really showing up? I think that whenever we first started this conversation, especially around groupthink or the identity politics, um, uh, support groups were mentioned. And this brings up a lot around the, and identifying with trauma. Mm -hmm. That was a big part of my journey 
um, <laughs> in this conversation, it's weird to say things like reflect on your own journey because now it's all like under the identity conversation <laughs> lens. It's like, but anyway, I'll go there just for the sake of conversation. Um, my experience with the 12 steps was very similar to this entire uh, quantum uh, community sort of thing going on where people have this usually what thrusts all of us into, I mean, from what I've seen in my own experience, but usually what thrusts people into this reality around multidimensional existence, uh, especially in Western culture or any culture that's more Westernized is trauma, the suffering, and then the journey that we go on to find something that will help us heal. Uh, that's how a lot of us kind of ended up in having any sort of experience with quantum work or learning uh, more about the quantum shit show itself. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this world as we know it, but from a multidimensional lens. Um, and then also like going into that journey of like seeking God. The 12 steps was, oh, one second. We're checking our technicals here. Yeah, our audio stream is good. I'm seeing it. Um, that was Danica just checking, making sure, cause we had a little glitch earlier in it. We weren't sure if we were still recording, but we are, <laughs> um, yeah. Entering into a 12 step group, uh, as a way to, I got, uh, I was in the judicial system here in the United States, pretty deep, a uh, few years back. And I was struggling big time with an addiction and alcoholism, that whole thing. And I had tried to go to multiple programs, not necessarily under my own idea, but it was like more court ordered thing. Or even whenever I was a teenager, it was like parents signing off, sending me to different things to try to kind of straighten me out. And I eventually um, found a place that, you know, worked for the time. And I got sober, I've been sober since, but I got deep into the 12 step program and became basically like a poster <coughs> for AA, NA. And then I was also doing inner child work and kind of became a little poster child for the wounded inner child. I became like the wounded child champion uh, for myself, which is what a lot of those things like indirectly are teaching people to do. <coughs> and then I ended up having a, a shedding of the 12 steps, 12, 12 step program from my experience and uh, everything that I had become basically a banner for or a walking billboard for these things uh, fell apart whenever I started to realize, well, whenever Jody and I got together and then we started seeing how easily people started to relate to one another via trauma because mm -hmm. we were learning more about trauma bonding and that's kind of what we're talking about here is identifying through trauma the only thing that's possible whenever it comes to having a relationship with somebody else whenever you're identifying with your trauma is a trauma bond and those obviously through healing those bonds fall apart so you lose relationships that you thought you had and you really what happens is the fantasy of the relationship that you have actually starts to dissolve so that's what was happening with all of these 12-step programs. And at the same time, um, 
I started speaking about it because I was really in a place where I wanted to try to use my voice uh, to share about what I was going through and how radically I was being shifted out of this sick identity, which, for example, AA, I was a member of AA for a couple of years, and it was like, just to speak in those groups, you have to identify with your sickness. You have to be under the uh, identity of an addict or an alcoholic. And even if you go for, to an AA meeting, that's <laughs> kind of looked down upon if you identify as an addict. Then you need to be in an NA meeting or a heroin anonymous meeting or whatever. You have to say, I'm an alcoholic. And then vice versa. If you go to the NA meetings <clears throat> where there's all these people who have substance addictions or even you know into the whole realm of that you can't show up really and be like i'm an alcoholic they look at you like well why aren't you in an aa meeting and there was the whole politics literally that went on in that group and the baseline requirement was to identify as a person who's completely powerless over a lifelong uh basically hereditary condition that you can never do anything about and that is your requirement, your, your baseline requirement to actually be a part of that group. And this thing has its tendrils sprawling all across the world, not just through AA, but the 12-step program. Come to find out that the two doctors that are the face for these, this program, Bill W. and Dr. Bob, are actually lifelong friends, but they worked alongside a lot of the same psychologists who were recruited to do stuff through MK Ultra. If anyone wants to look into <laughs> a, a brief deep dive into AA and the 12 step programs, we'll start to reveal a lot more than just this uh, disguised benevolent agenda to right. help uh, people come into relationship with God. That was another thing. Even they have atheists and agnostics, but it was a requirement to identify a power greater than yourselves which also falls right in line with a lot of the Masonic temples and the lodges and their core ideologies and belief systems that are required mm -hmm. to be vowed upon, upon entering some of these groups. And they all trickle down. AA is basically like, uh, it could be a religious thing, but they claim non-religion, but it's basically like a new age version of the same thing that has been, it comes from the same family of right. mind control and brainwashing that all major religions come from, which, you know, brief deep dives would <laughs> reveal uh, a lot of ways that these things are just agendas. So my point was to share that experience of just kind of like unhooking from all of that, but the identity crisis, even in where it can bring us to identify with our trauma. And that was a salvation at one point for me. I mean, I thought that this was my deliverance so from the sickness and the perils that <laughs> I found myself in. So it all falls apart eventually. And since then there's been, I've spoken about these things um, even in the same groups and been completely rejected for it. Mm -hmm. This is making me think about <clears throat> some of these um, definitions that I was reading, especially the one from Psychology Today. 
and how it's so backwards, how they're saying that identity is all of these external things about ourselves that make us who we are. And what you're saying about how those um, couple of guys who kind of coined those organizations worked alongside these psychologists who were known to um, contribute to the MK Ultra program is making me think that some of the way that society is being taught to identify with things is actually like like a mind control or a thought control program. Um, and that we're, and this is probably going to open up a whole other subject, but how we're being mass MK ultra as a society yes. and as a collective yes. and taught to identify with things external to our consciousness um, in an effort to further disembody us because, you know, these, these, these people, these entities, these organizations know that if God is found through the self, the quickest way to keep us disconnected from God is to actually disembody us. Yes. Well, here's the thing is like Bo's talking about that and exactly what you're saying, Danica, as he was saying that it made me think about what happens in the spiritual community as people come into what they think is a deeper awareness of their true origin. And then they start adopting these personalities and they start adopting these attributes. And I'm like, this is another form of trauma bonding and we need to see it for what it is. It is a trauma response to do that. And then to look at it and to have people in the spiritual community get up in arms when someone says, I'm not going to let myself be fractured of my own volition by saying, I will uh, show up as this person online and I'll be this person at home. But when I do my healing work, I'll be this person. And someone saying, I'm going to just be who I am in this space and I will be who I am as a healer, as a you know friend, as of this, as of that. And think, we're, here we are having this conversation about MKUltra, which at this point, pretty much everybody is aware exists unless they are hiding under a rock and have refused to acknowledge it. If not, this is the disclosure. Yeah, here, here major disclosure. If we're rattling your cage, sorry, but here we go. So MKUltra, the whole purpose of that program was to create assets where the way that they did that was they intentionally split the psyche. They intentionally created alternate personalities. And so to hear Bo share what he's sharing about this one program that think people think is so wonderful for healing purposes and the people who have spearheaded the organization worked hand in hand and side by side with other people who learned how to fracture the psyche and cause people to dissociate for the purpose of control. And then to be in the spiritual community where it's being, you know, suggested, encouraged that people take on alternate identities in their healing work. And we go, no, this is holy. That's crazy. But this is holy. You know what I'm saying? It's like, come on, y'all. We are smarter than this. And that's not what we're here for. So then we go let ourselves be fractured in this way, claiming that it's for holy purposes and try to overlay past timelines on present timelines and think that shit's going to work. And then, yeah. and then the people who are striving to come back into wholeness are actually being ostracized by these, these healed people, right? right. <laughs> Obviously, and people are like, no, 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 no. We don't want to hear that. Yeah. You know, we don't hear that. Obviously, everything that you're saying is hitting home. <laughs> 
you know I think what? it should hit home for everybody. Everybody, you know, it was one of the things I struggled with so much in my um, personal work journey because I have done so many things, and I I have owned a salon, I have been a cosmetologist, and and done weddings and runway and TV and all these things, hair and makeup for all these things. Then I sold insurance. I was an in, a licensed insurance agent for a long time and did both of those things simultaneously. <laughs> and do you know how challenging it is to go sit in someone's marketing class when you are literally a jack of all trades and you don't know how to define yourself? And then people are like, you need to put yourself out in a way that people know who you are and how to come to you. This is the society we live in. This is why people are doing these things. Mm -hmm. They're learning to identify with their work, with their, you know, whatever it is, and then put it out there. And so, you know, then as I began to move through that and I left both of those things and started working in personal development solely, then I was working with people and they were like, so you're a life coach. And I was like, no. I'm not a life coach. They're like, but that is what you are. And I just had such an aversion to identifying as that. I would not put it on my stuff. And I felt so conflicted inside because I felt like if I don't tell people what I do or who I am, it's going to affect me financially and all these other ways. It's not going to be enough. And yeah. And it was, so. I'm telling you, it was such a cluster in my life. And that's why I just finally was like, this, my name is Jody, And if you want to find me anywhere, that's how you're going to find me. I'm not going to put a big, long description. Cause as soon as I do, I'll have to change it 15 times because I've done quantum healing. I've done um, training and all these different healing modalities. <laughs> I've done all this stuff. Can you imagine if every time I got certified in something, I l- slapped it up there on my bio, it's you know, people are going to be like, well, I could get some insurance from her, but she could also do my hair and maybe a quantum <laughs> session. You know what I mean? Like it's crazy. And I just was like, no, I'm just Jody, and I have a lot of experience doing a lot of different things, but this is how I show up. And I know people struggle with that because our world does not promote that. Our world says you need to know how to identify yourself. Mm-hmm. And then we try so hard to figure out how to do that. So yeah. yeah. That was even- oh, go ahead. I was going to say that was even recently a part of my social media cleanse because I got off Facebook for the last year and then went back and it said like shaman and like all these <laughs> other things on there, dude. I was like, oh shit, I got to get this off of there, man. Just because of all of the things that we've been through, you know, to be able to have a conversation like this yeah. from a place of non-attachment. And of course, there's still things that we're going to be attached to at any given moment, but. Yeah. And I think, I think there's, you know, there's space to acknowledge the subtleties here. Like some of these hats that we wear, the things that we do, like, of course, we're going to find value in them, but they're essentially not who we are. We're not supposed to over identify with these things. Right. And even like Bo, what you're saying about (laughs) how you logged back into your Facebook and it has like all this stuff on there that's supposed identity markers or whatever. Like I'm going through all of my stuff and even on my Instagram, I'm like, oh my God, I'm about to change my name because I can't like, I don't, I don't want to identify as an Oracle or whatever an Oracle is, is not what I thought it was. (laughs) So whatever that is, that's about to go away too, you know? So, um, but we've, what we've spent a lot of time talking about what identity isn't. 
So I think maybe it would be helpful for some of our listeners, like if we started to expand on what we feel like identity um, is. And I think it, I think it's going to be difficult to try to come up with a very like succinct or concise, air quotes, definition of what it is. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like I said, we've talked about what it isn't. <laughs> so, yeah. but do we want to take a shot at trying to describe like what it is or what it even feels like to um, be anchored into the truth of the identity of the consciousness? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Heck yeah. I would love to. Yeah. I'm good with it. Yeah. <laughs> we're all just like, yeah. Bo, Bo's like, I would love to. And then we're like looking at you and you're like, oh. <laughs> okay. Permission granted. Um, but yeah, I, the first thing that comes up, um, which we haven't even said yet, um, to me is being, like you said, the, the number one thing that we are not. And I was, I think we could even go into this on the next episode or this can also go, uh, many different directions, but the conversation between guilt and innocence, um, being, brought to this table Mm -hmm. because I can only speak from my own experience and I don't all the time, but, um, a lot of times I speculate a lot of times I just kind of project things too. But, um, in my own experience, the core of all of my wounding, and we talked about this in the first two episodes, actually being in relationship with God and being on a journey to connect back to our source what is found there is pretty separate from the reactions, the triggers, the uh, most expressions that are of this world, Mm -hmm. whatever I call the world, basically the fallen reality um, based on certain levels of programming uh, in relationship dynamics. So those relationship dynamics pretty much from what I've seen boiled down to Uh, a relationship of debt and payment, crime and punishment, and the master-slave or like master-servant programs. And I just talked about this in a men's group too, Um, this exact thing. All of those work the way that they do because of guilt. And all the core beliefs that we could look at clinically described as the five core beliefs or um, five core wounds, I meant to say, not core beliefs. I guess they are, but abandonment, uh, rejection, betrayal, shame, and guilt. Mm-hmm. In my experience, guilt has been at the core of all of these wounds. It hasn't so much been that my father wasn't present in my life growing up, causing that abandonment wound, and even uh, some rejection, some betrayal, the shame and guilt, but it was feeling at some level responsible for that. So in coming back into relationship with God, we have all of our needs met and we're not being perpetually traumatized. And if guilt is at the core of all of our wounding, which isn't just that we're wounded, it's that we're responsible on some level for that wounding that we experienced Mm -hmm. because this is how consent is manufactured. If these core beliefs are solidified as within us as the crux or the centermost component of why they happened, 
then they're more easily perpetuated because we co-create that because of the programming, because of the trauma signature itself. So whenever we feel responsible for that, or we take on that most fault, like the, the core misidentification of ourselves, which is a guilty being. Um, this goes into even a lot of different origin stories or even the Garden of Eden story. It was the guilt that created, or the shame, in other words, that created that false identity. The antithesis of that would be innocence or purity. And the purity identity, I know even through religion, has caused a lot of harm. Um, purity uh, culture, having this whole cleanliness idea around sex, and that being a major way to control people or to perpetuate the separation mm -hmm. that's being created um, by, you know, creating a story or a narrative and defining a uh, natural human tendency to survive or reproduce um, and then creating an entire purity culture of virtue around mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. You know, the vice, the virtue, the sins and virtues. Um, of course, morality comes into play whenever we have a conversation around identity, because that's the number one way that these agendas are actually harnessed to create division is by attacking the morality, uh, making it a virtue or a wrongdoing or a sin, mm -hmm. because then you can be rejected or you can be even more clearly guilty or the reason for bad things happening. Guilt is an identity that's rooted in being associated to something evil, which is the direct opposite of purity. The identity rooted in being of something innocent, untouched, right? Whenever we're talking about an organic timeline, it is, um, or even organic food, it's untouched. You know, nothing added to it. So uh, all of this GMO artificial food or artificial consciousness in the food is just coming from things that are laid onto it. So whenever the, we're shedding more and more and more, the more pure we actually become, that's what healing is. It's coming back into wholeness, but it's coming back into relationship with who we originally were or are without any level of separation. Just like we talked about in the first conversation around subjective reality versus objective reality. In an identity conversation, what is pure is our objective reality. It is our original. It's raw, mm -hmm. unedited, untouched, pure, <clears throat> organic, whole. And I think we see so many different options or pathways to come back into that purity, to come back into that wholeness. And I think it also opens up the, that self-perception as being the co-creator and perceiving that purity within ourselves sometimes is like, I mean, for myself, it was the hardest thing to do because even the places, like I said, in 12 steps that I went to find wholeness, that I went to heal, I had to identify with something that, made me sick or not whole in order to somehow earn this is at the core of all major religion programs mm -hmm. is this not having wholeness 
and then doing A, B, C, and D to come back into that wholeness or requirements like payments required for the debt mm -hmm. that we have to pay. And it's not even that we have to pay a debt. It's that we did a crime <laughs> to cause that debt. This is the crime and punishment programs. And lots of times that crime in and of itself is just being a dirty human. Yeah, <laughs> right. So Bo, you were saying something and it started to kind of like um, a domino effect of thoughts started going through my head. So you were talking about how guilt and shame is the core um, of most wounds. And do you think that guilt and shame have an underlying frequency of fear, like a fear of being evil or a fear of being tarnished or something like that? Or do you think that it's something that's completely different? And the reason I ask is because in, in my quantum experience, um, just through like my own personal session work and containers, I've noticed that usually most things that people are experiencing actually have like a base frequency of of fear. Um, but I just wanted to ask what your experience was mm -hmm. with that and how you feel the, um, that guilt and shame are related or not related to fear. I actually, if I can, I want to say something. Yeah, sure. Because, Cause I'm, I'm well, because here's sure the yet. thing is that I think that guilt, uh, breeds fear. Okay. Of punishment, you know, because if we're guilty, our fear is that we will be punished. And so I do think that they are, interchangeable in that way, um, that you can't have one without the other, you know, because if we're afraid, what are we afraid of? You know, we're afraid of being abandoned. We're afraid of being rejected. We're afraid of being punished, you know, those are the things. And so, yeah, I think that the purpose of the wound of guilt is to incite fear because that frequency is controllable. Mm -hmm. Ooh, yeah, it is. Yeah, well, I, I, <clears throat> was kind of getting into a space whenever you asked that question, like thinking like, well, what is fear? And you exactly yeah. described fear is just, you know, it's fear of the future. I mean, anxiety, fear of the past, or I think it's feeling unsafe at the core. Right. And so then the fear is what makes us easy to manipulate. Mm -hmm. Hence our world right now. Why are people, why are people making the choices they're making? Because they want to be safe because they're afraid of losing their life. Fear is the controlling frequency. Oh my gosh. And as you were saying that, I was just seeing how fear is the frequency of that fracturing of the mind. Cause the fear takes us into the mind. What you were talking about, like fear of the future, Bo, you said, or fear of the past or, or fear of, of something to come, the anxiety of it all. So I feel like fear and what you said, Jody, fear is what makes us controllable. Fear is what is the thought control and the mind control. It helps to program the mind because fear, do you feel like fear is something that we would actually feel on a fundamental level if we were not perceiving the separation that we would have like in our identity with God? Because I feel like fear is, is something that is completely inorganic that we wouldn't experience if we were um, truly rooted in our identity with God. Yes. Just being able to access more of our brain power, just being able to access more of our quote unquote junk DNA would make us much harder to control because fear would not be able to be, it would not be able to take root because we would have more access to our own faculties. And so I believe that that happens, you know, that there is a level of that in being increased in our relationship with God. 
when we come back home to the truth. Like what Bo's talking about, coming home to your innocence is like, it's revolutionary. It is the redemption. I mean, adopting the idea that we're innocent at our core as opposed to guilty is so massive. It makes us hard to control. And (laughs) yeah, I think that even in that question that you asked, this is a good question too. And I've never actually been asked these questions or asked these questions. I mean, I've just kind of uh, just, I guess, been in an experience of them or not. Um, but yeah, I mean, just you saying, basically, were, you were asking, does fear exist as a natural state of being? Is that kind of what you're saying? Like in the heart-centered consciousness? Right, exactly. Yeah. I, the thing that I was feeling as soon as you said that was that whenever we're in our hearts and we're in our heart-centered consciousness, we have we are actually plugged into our direct access to our source, mm-hmm. our direct access to God. And in that place, all of our needs are met at every level. And so there is, you know, what we want in the future is based on maybe what we feel like we don't have a lot of times right now. Mm-hmm. And so fear and anxiety at their core are based in the future or what is to come but it's all based on what is. And if that's the paradox of them, and it's also the genius, if I can be so bold as to say, of these measures of control, because if we're stuck in what is to come, we are never able to actually see what is going on right now, which is why a lot of like healing modalities is like getting present. What's going on for you right now? Mm-hmm. Not what are you afraid of happening? What are you thinking about? None of that, like, what are you feeling right now? It's like coming back to present. What is get in touch with your needs, learn how to even identify what you're feeling. I mean, I remember getting sober. I, I didn't know what I was feeling. I mean, even three years later, this year, 2021 was the year that I could identify anxiety <laughs> and I had been feeling it the whole time. But to say this feeling is anxiety, I was able to actually see how often it gripped me. And it wasn't any longer just anxiety was usually the feeling that I felt when I thought I was feeling guilt because mm-hmm. it would come out out of nowhere or it would be a thought about the future or what was to come or something that wasn't taken care of that would trigger it. And it would grip my whole body, especially right in my gut or my chest. Mm-hmm. And so being in the heart, it's, it's, your needs are met at every level and you're connected to that core identity. You're not in a false perpetuated mind control program of separation, fear. That separation is the only way that fear can be plugged in is to be perceived as separate from God on any level is to be disconnected from our purity and having to earn our way back to that, earn our way back to our innocence. And also Having an identity of guilt being perpetuated on us inherently keeps us from being able to, oh shit, I swear I was just like in a flow of something and it like just floated away slowly, (laughs) slowly floated away. I don't know. I'll come back to it. Sometimes it'd be like that. (laughs) 
Yeah, that's some bullshit, man. <laughs> well, hey, you were saying something about um, just really coming back into the present and not having the fear or the anxiety about the future. And I think that that, I think this is an important topic because we're always talking about embodiment and that is a major part of being embodied because that fear, anxiety that pulls us out of the now and into uh, the future or the past or what's to come, it is, uh, it's disembodying us. And, um, and so this is something that I employ with, uh, some of my, um, in some of my containers, but we talk about sensations of the body and getting people like really grounded and embodied in their body by talking about the sensations that they're actually feeling in that moment. And a lot of times people are actually um, incapable of describing the sensations that they're feeling in their body, which I feel like is something notable and uh, worth examination because a lot of times people will talk about the emotions that they're feeling instead of the actual sensations of the body, like, um, like, are your feet hot or cold? Are your hands tingling? Is the hair standing up on your head? You know what I mean? Is there a sticky, plastic, crunchy feeling in the body? It's just the sensation of what's happening in that moment. And, and that's an exercise that I use to actually bring people's consciousness totally back into their body and move through different areas of the body and have them sit with the sensations that they're feeling, describe them, and then sit with them a few moments longer and then see if they kind of evolve or change. And it really gets people all the way in their body. And then they can usually tell me what's going on. Right. And I don't have to go in and see, say what I'm seeing or tell them anything or tell them what they're feeling because as soon as they come all the way back in their body, then they can actually tell me, what's going on because they're in their body <laughs> their consciousness is in their body so you know what's interesting about that too Danica is I've seen this done many many times and it's interesting to note that a lot of times people also do not know the difference between their thoughts and their feelings mm -hmm. um, learning how to like <laughs> know what is actually a feeling like an emotion and what is just a thought that you're having because we use words like, well, I feel like blah, 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 which is a quick indicator that we're totally in our head. You know, <laughs> I feel like blah, blah, blah. And it's like, but are you feeling that? Or are you thinking that? I you know what I mean? So, lot. <laughs> I, I say it a lot. <laughs> and I catch myself doing it because I know better. But it, it's, it's, it's all back to what you're talking about. It's back to that embodiment because we, we spend so much time in our thoughts that we don't feel. <laughs> And so when we're in our mind, we are not in our heart. And like what Bo's talking about, coming back into that central point of identification is like the truth is found in our heart. So we could essentially say that guilt, fear, all of these core beliefs and wounds, those are all the lie, right? So anything that we identify with that is linked to those things and we have to pull the thread to figure out if that's what we're doing. Anything we're identifying with linked to those things is the lie. So we have identified with a lie. Mm -hmm. Our core identity is truth. It is wholeness. It is God. It is one. And so learning how to re-identify with the truth requires that we come back into a heart-centered space. Into that place, like you're talking about, Danica, mm -hmm. of embodiment, of feeling, of understanding mm -hmm. our feelings and not thinking our feelings and, you know, getting truth in our bodies, feeling truth in our body. That's where we're going to find 
our wholeness and, and, and the actuality of our identity. And I think it's important to understand too, that it's a process. We're constantly recalibrating ourselves and um, shedding these layers upon layers of things that have been laid over us and over our consciousness that we've identified with externally, or um, like you said, just kind of like staying in our thoughts. Um, But we're, we're shedding all of these things and then we're slowly coming back into alignment with our true identity. So it is a process. It's going to happen through our healing journey. It's not something that you're, you're not going to be like, Oh my God, I listened to episode three of the quantum shit show. And now I'm like, <laughs> I know what I am. I know my identity now. <laughs> shit, if you were made poor again from this, just take it. <laughs> I mean, there have been moments though, right? I mean, I remember multiple times feeling completely washed clean in some of, some of my, my trauma. Yeah, absolutely. Memory or identity, just burning away and feeling what that felt like and sniffling through the sometimes hours of tears and just deep grief for that identity, that wound that I carried for so long. And I think that's a big, this is what I was going to say earlier, whenever I totally blanked, but a big part of that healing process is uh, understanding how we've been victimized too, Mm -hmm. because there's a lot, a major false empowerment narrative that comes to describe why we are guilty for the things that we experience. And it's not just that we have wounds, but there's this guilt that we feel and then there's the agenda to empower ourselves beyond the guilt by making sure to have a story or even accept a story that someone tells us about why we experience those pains because it feels too painful too agonizing that we could just go through that with without consenting to it without the and but this is also not understanding manufactured consent, which is another level of victimization that we have to come to terms with. Mm -hmm. And this is where our innocence is found. Whenever we can stand in a place, um, not of unaccountability, because accountability comes into this conversation as well. And that will set us free on other levels. Mm -hmm. But there are things that we have each been through that our spiritual journey at some level, I would put money on it. Someone has come to you and been like, here's the reason you went through that. And it's this uplifting thing of just like you endured this horrific event. And here's the beautiful reason why <laughs> God put you through this. Yeah. Uh, whether it's called God or not, it's like, this is the reason that you deserved to go through this. And it actually turns out to be this beautiful thing. We've all heard that, I'm sure, but it also completely disconnect us, disconnects us from true empowerment, which comes from being able to say, no, that was fucked up. Right. And I never agreed to go through that. And I've been victimized. Mm-hmm. And you see a lot of false victimization happening to people who are wrapped up in the, the massive AI agenda and the identity politics. But then you have these people who are over here like, I'm a light warrior. I'm here for this grand purpose. And I asked for that to happen to me. It's like two sides of the pendulum. And the purity is lost. The innocence is lost. It's like going to AA and trying to empower yourself as an addict. 
by saying, I have this gnarly disease and I'm fighting through it. I'm going to overcome, you know, like how many times have I sat through a meeting and tried to convince myself of that and even felt it at one point, but was so disconnected from the core purity of you don't have to be born this way or die that way. Right. Because as soon as I started speaking purity, I was rejected from those communities and it was not an option. Mm -hmm. So then I started to see the true nature or the agenda behind those narratives Mm -hmm. rooted in guilt, Mm -hmm. rooted in wrongdoing or even the, the false empowerment of I came here for this. I think that there are missions that people come here as a part of. But then we start getting into, it's it's not just that part of the story. We can't just stop there and allow that to define our experience. Because if we're seeking truth, we have to consider things like Project Looking Glass and extraterrestrial influence or military influence, which is a very real part of our experience as humans on Earth. And if we're going to be a part of anything else, we have to have a full spectrum lens. We can't just cherry pick the things that work for our tender, truly pure, innocent identity constructs. We can't just cherry pick them. So that's where true strength comes in, not in being able to have this virtue in all of the fucked up things you've walked through. It comes from being able to take two things that actually come from the same place that at the end of the rope look completely different and detach from both of them Mm -hmm. and find what is beyond that. What doesn't come from the same beast system that all religions or spiritual belief systems come from. Because if you're going to be a part of new age and reject religion, (laughs) you can stay in that for a while until you start to realize where new age comes from. Because then you'll see the same tentacle stretching through religion. Right? So these are where we're huddling up in our little identity corners. And I've done the same thing. And like I said, there's still ways that We're all doing this, but they all perpetuate one thing, which is responsibility for the harm that we've experienced. Mm -hmm. And the power that they gain comes from our consent to buy it, to pay the cost, Mm -hmm. to be a part of that story. Mm -hmm. And we're not. (laughs) Man. Oh my gosh. I feel like this conversation could just keep going and going and going and going. But ultimately what I've gathered from this whole conversation is that identity, true identity is really rooted in your personal and individual relationship with God. No one, nothing external can define that for you and everything else that we identify with outside of ourselves is really a result of whether or not we are actually in resonance with our true identity as the child of God. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, um, oh my gosh. Yeah. So much stuff is coming up for me around all that stuff that you were just saying, Bo, this is a good conversation. Wow. 
All right. Stay tuned for new. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Next tip. So, um, but we are coming up on time for this episode. So we will see you next time in the next episode of the quantum shit show. Peace.